So in this paragraph of the confession, we've seen so far that worship is natural in that God, our Creator, ought to be worshipped and that we, the creatures, have enough given to us by the light of nature and enough revealed to us in what we call general revelation that leaves us without excuse with regard to the idea of worship. We ought to worship God. It's natural, but... Back to paragraph 1 again. The acceptable way of worshiping God is something that has to be revealed from Him. He has to tell us how we are to worship, which, remember, reminds us that there is acceptable worship and there is unacceptable worship. There are things that people do that they call worship that are unacceptable. And we saw in the second paragraph this God who is the object of our worship, and the details of His nature, we could say the thorough details of His nature, are also a matter of special revelation. We don't learn from general revelation. The, the, The nature of God is one in essence and three in person, but that's something that is specially revealed in the Scriptures. Now we come to what is a part of worship, if we wanted to trace this sort of logically, we ought to worship God, but God must reveal how He is to be worshipped, and He has revealed how He is to be worshipped in His Word through special revelation, and one part of that special revelation which tells us how we ought to worship God is the matter of prayer. And so we come to part of worship number one, prayer, and I'm getting that from Paragraph 6, which says, Neither prayer nor any other part of religious worship. This is the first part of religious worship, prayer. Paragraph 3. Now, let me read this paragraph and then we'll, we'll talk for a minute. Prayer with thanksgiving, being one part of natural worship, is by God required of all men. But that it may be accepted... It is to be made in the name of the Son, by the help of the Spirit, according to His will, with understanding, reverence, humility, fervency, faith, love, and perseverance, and when with others in a known tongue. Now before we get into this paragraph and we begin to consider prayer, I wanted to address what is, for me personally, a practical concern with regard to the matter of prayer. It's obvious from this statement here and from the Scriptures that prayer is something that is natural, and yet acceptable prayer is something that is supernatural. God has to reveal that to us and work that in us. There is prayer, and then there is acceptable prayer. The the idea of acceptable prayer implies that there is what? Unacceptable prayer. Now remember, we, we, we said this with regard to worship. It's very offensive to tell some people, God doesn't accept your worship. Well, it's the same with prayer. There is unacceptable prayer. And it's very offensive for some people to think or to hear, God doesn't accept your prayers. Now we very often will say things like, God doesn't hear the prayers of the lost, of the unregenerate. I think it might be better stated, God doesn't accept the prayers 
of those who pray in, in an unacceptable way. Of course, He hears all things. He knows all things. He sees all things. But there is, pr- there is prayer and there is acceptable prayer. There's unacceptable prayer and acceptable prayer. There's true prayer and there's false prayer. False prayer may happen naturally, but true prayer is a matter of special revelation from God, which means we do not come out of the womb offering up true, right, acceptable prayers. True prayer is something that we are taught and something that we learn. True prayer is what many have referred to as a spiritual discipline. It's something that we learn and we grow in. Here we see in Luke 11 that the disciples requested of Christ, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And and the Lord does not castigate them as if their their very asking was wrong, that they, they shouldn't ask such things. What we see here from this text, it seems to imply... Uh, John the Baptist taught his disciples to pray. These disciples ask the Lord to teach them to pray, and he proceeds to teach them to pray. Again, the idea is that prayer is something that we have to be taught, that we have to learn and grow in. It's a, a discipline. Prayers will be uttered by the most infantile of saints. Newly born again, as we see of the Apostle Paul after his conversion in Acts chapter 9. The Lord said to Ananias, Rise and go to the street called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. Now, Paul grew up a religious man, and he knew well the idea of prayer, but after his conversion, he began immediately to truly pray. He he was not at this point a great, advanced, and mature saint, but he did pray. Prayers will be offered by the most infantile or newly born saints. But we could also compare that with the story of Simon the Magician. In Acts chapter 8, Peter commanded him, Repent therefore of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. I've seen people go back and forth about whether Simon was actually converted. He he made a profession. He was baptized by the apostles. I would say one of several signs that he was not converted is that when he was commanded to pray for himself, he responded with, You pray for me. He couldn't even pray. He couldn't even offer this most basic prayer. Now, Christians, truly born-again Christians, can make some really big blunders in their lives. They can say some really foolish things, do some really foolish things, but they will pray. When the truth is brought to them and especially applied by the Spirit, a Christian will not say, well, why don't you just pray for me? A Christian will pray. Even even immature Christians, young saints, pray. Prayer for the Christian is like the cry of an infant. It's a sign of life. Starts early. Begins at the outset. But as we all know, at some point we have to teach our children that the time for incoherent screaming is over. 
And you've got to learn how to articulate yourself. Express your needs with respect. Use proper manners. Use proper grammar, as we often say when they're young. Use your words. You know some words now. When they're, when they're little, we, we, we don't fuss at a little baby for crying. If they're three and all they do is cry, we say, use your words. You know how to talk. Articulate properly. There's a, a growth. And so as with all spiritual disciplines, there is learning that must take place. It's normal. It's biblical that we learn. Lord, teach us. We need to learn how to pray. And as with all areas of sanctification, gifts and graces are given according to the prerogative of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 4.10, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. The Spirit blows where He wills. God's grace is varied. The Spirit apportions to each as He wills. Which means that giftings are not the same with all people. And growth is not the same with all people. God's grace is varied. And so again, as with all spiritual disciplines, we have to be very careful that we don't hold one another to a, a, a standard higher than what is actually biblically appropriate. And we have to be careful that we don't hold ourselves to a standard set forth by another Christian or a standard that is, again, biblically indefensible. We need to understand, just like we would with our children, just like we do with animals, there is a nature and a process and we must treat ourselves and others with regard to this process of growth. Now, why do I say all that? It's been my experience that the more I read on prayer, especially when it's, when it's set forth in a polemical nature, clarifying true prayer over against false prayer, the more I hear taught about prayer, and the more I read and, and read the prayers of others, like the Valley of Vision and things like that, the more I hear the prayers of others, as a naturally self-conscious person, the more I take in, the less and less confident I become in my own praying. In, in other words, you would think that the process that would make me more and more confident and teach me to, to, to be better and better at my praying, I don't feel like it's doing that for me. I hear and I hear and I hear and my confidence goes down, 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 down. Now, I don't say that to disparage teaching on prayer because that's what I'm about to attempt to do and that's what we're going to keep doing and, and hopefully we'll do it more and more. And I don't want to disparage those who do teach on prayer. But the reality is that prayer is such a supernatural and individual work. It's, it's so... Uh, subjective, such a subjective and personal discipline that very often it seems that we might have been better off if no human being had ever attempted to expound upon the subject but had merely all we had was the Scriptures and we had to read it and let the Holy Spirit work in us those words as He sees fit because the more we hear others we begin to make these comparisons. And we hear others that will teach on prayer and very often we think, well, since that person sets out this high standard, that person must have obtained that high standard and I'll never meet that high standard. So what's the use? It, it, can, it actually seems like it, it works against us. In other words, when, when I hear the more hearing, the more teaching, the more reading that I've done on prayer and I've got books upon books on the subject of prayer, 
But it seems like what I get from them, what I keep hearing over and over is, you're not doing it right, you're not doing it right, you're not doing it right, you're not doing it right. Well, the reality is for the child of God who aims to grow in their, the practice of prayer, the discipline of prayer, it's always going to be a, an uphill climb. It's always going to be a struggle. It's always going to be work. As I've, I've said, Martin Lloyd-Jones, his view on prayer I appreciate. He says, you know, for him prayer was, he believed it was one of the hardest things that there was to do. Some people, you see, they just, they just begin to throw out words and, and just talk like prayer is nothing. And for him, he said, I believe prayer is actually very difficult. It's a very hard thing to do. It's, it's always work. Listen to John Knox. Now, he's, he's not talking here so much about how to pray, but on the difficulty of prayer. He addresses this reality, quote, Worldly cares and fleshly thoughts such as draw us from contemplation of our God, have to be expelled from us that we may freely, without interruption, call upon God. That's, his, that's the idea. You've got to get rid of everything in your mind that would draw you away from God so that you can focus on God in prayer. And then he says, quote, But how difficult and hard this one thing is to perform in prayer, no one knows better than such as in their prayers are not content to remain within the bands of their own vanity, but as it were, ravished, do strive to a purity allowed of God, asking not such things as the foolish reason of man desires, but that which may be pleasant and acceptable in God's presence. In other words, he's saying, to offer up true prayers, we have to put out of our minds fleshly and carnal thoughts, things that would draw our minds away from God, And we have to fix our minds rightly upon God Himself. And He says, nobody knows how difficult that actually is except the people who are striving to do it properly. People who are striving to pray in a manner that pleases God. Or if we wanted to put it in a more affirmative light, only people who are discontent with their prayers and who are laboring to pray and put away carnal thoughts actually know how hard it is to pray. It's always going to be an uphill battle because we're always striving to put away carnal thoughts. The point being, prayer, even for John Knox, the Lion of Scotland, he says, it's hard. It's hard to pray. He goes on to say, our adversary Satan at all times compassing us about is never more busy than when we address and bend ourselves to prayer. Oh, how secretly And subtly He creeps into our breasts and calling us back from God causes us to forget what we have to do so that frequently when we with all reverence should speak to God, we find our hearts talking with the vanities of the world or with foolish imaginations of our own conceit. Can you relate to that? You you, you light into prayer and it seems like two sentences in you're talking to yourself about who knows what. Some, Some strange unnecessary matter of the world. John Knox says, I I know that. He knew the reality that the apostle spoke of when he said, when I would do good, evil lies close at hand. So there is growth and progress that takes place in the life of every Christian with regard to prayer. There is difficulty in prayer, both in nature and with regard to the assaults of the enemy that make it more and more difficult to pray. And both of these have the tendency to take 
what is without question our greatest weapon in the Christian life and make it feel like a burden. Prayer is work. And growth in any area, especially prayer, requires diligence, death to self, striving. As Christ said, the kingdom suffers violence. The violent take it by force. It takes work. But we are, for the most part, lazy. Lazy. So rather than put in the diligent effort to die to ourselves and strive like Jacob, if need be, all night wrestling with the Lord until the Lord blesses, we very often will strive for just a few minutes, get up, defeated, and walk away. Now we walk without a limp, but we also walk without the blessing of God. More often than not, we would actually rather walk without a limp. Walk quickly and walk smoothly than to have God's blessing. To learn what it means to strive with God, even if that means walking with a limp. You might not be as fast as you'd like to be, but you'd have God's blessing if you learned how to wrestle with Him. Very often we look at other people and we read other people and we hear other people. You, you might even be hearing me and you're, you're, you're thinking that, that I'm way out in front of you in the race and if, if, if you're going to catch up with me, then what you're going to have to do is sort of cut some spiritual corners and, and, and sort of take the, the shortcut through sanctification to catch me. That's not so. That's not how the Christian life works. We hear other people and we think, well, I, I just want to be where they are. You can't cut any corners. If they are out ahead of you, it's because they didn't cut corners. It's because they strove with the Lord. But again, we are for the most part lazy. We don't want to strive. We don't want to work. We just want to get to the finish line quickly and, and appear spiritual when, when we're not. So, as we enter into this paragraph on prayer, we can approach it from one of two angles. Number one... Here is another description of prayer that will remind me how awful my prayer life is. Or, secondly, general instruction, which when used by the Holy Spirit will help me to grow as a child of God. I believe that there are enough things said about prayer and taught about prayer by very wise men who know what they're talking about for us all to sit and mope for the rest of our lives about how far we've fallen short. And I, I believe that a true saint who's striving to pray rightly already realizes they, that they need to grow. They, they recognize that. And so I hope that we'll hear this paragraph from that second angle. General instruction which, when used by the Holy Spirit, will help us to grow as children of God. This paragraph is general instruction or general doctrine. It's not exhaustive. It wasn't written to be exhaustive. The Scriptures alone, in their entirety, contain the full picture of the biblical doctrine of prayer. The whole Word of God. This paragraph is not personal. It's not tailored to every individual person and gifting and, and, and personality. And so every individual is going to have to take these things and you're still going to have to have your own prayers. You're going to have to put this to practice for yourself. This paragraph doesn't lay out for us a form of prayer, just like the prayer we read in Luke 11 or, 
or Matthew 16 or John 17. These are not form prayers. Now we know that. We've heard a lot of teaching on the Lord's Prayer. And very often the first thing you hear is, this is not a set form. And yet very often then we'll say, so when you pray, you know, follow this pattern. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Which is fine. But if you read the Bible, there are some prayers that are just adoration. There are some prayers that are just thanksgiving. There are some prayers that are just intercession. When we say it's not a form, we're not saying, oh, you can take these five or six things and mix them up however you please. You can. We're also saying you might just need to take one of these things and make that your prayer. This is not meant to give us a form of prayer. The whole Bible is full of prayers. None of them is exclusive in its form on its own. It's general instruction, general doctrine, and it can be used by the Holy Spirit. We believe in sola scriptura, but we do not believe in solo scriptura. We believe that God can use, will use, and does use, and has promised to use means besides, in addition to, along with the Scriptures to help us to grow, including things like our confession. And So if you'll seek the help of God the Holy Spirit in this basic instruction, He can use it to help you. Now we're going to be going to the Scriptures, obviously, but this can be used. And it'll help us to grow as children of God. Why do we need to grow? Because we've not arrived. None of us have arrived. Not one. We're not going to grow at the same pace in any areas, prayer especially. But we have to be resolved to put in the effort to grow. And we have to keep in the forefront of our minds that we are praying to our Heavenly Father. Our Father. As earthly fathers, I hope we can say we love to hear our children talk to us. Now I could add the caveat, because I am an earthly father, unless we are busy and we need our minds to be focused on something we're doing, and we might in that moment say, hold on one second. Or if we're asleep. Those are times when we usually don't appreciate our children as much as we ought. But as we saw this morning, our Heavenly Father neither slumbers nor sleeps, and it is His business to hear our prayers. We are His business. This is our Father to that we're praying to. He wants us to pray, commands us to pray, invites us to pray. As others have said, God wants us to pray more than we want to pray. That He has to command us to come and pray. Because He knows, he knows that we're, 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 we're apprehensive about it. And why are we apprehensive? Very often, again, it's because we realize how far, far, far short we fall, how infirm we are, and, and we're lazy. We don't want to put in the effort. Now notice in this, this paragraph as it talks about prayer, it follows the same pattern as the first paragraph. The first paragraph, worship is natural, but acceptable worship is revealed of God. Here in this paragraph, prayer is natural, but acceptable prayer has to be revealed through special revelation. So the confession here begins the discussion on prayer very simply with the naturalness of prayer. I guess naturality, that might have been a word. The naturalness of prayer. And so that's what I want us to see. Prayer is natural. We should pray. What I want to do is look at the words of the confession, then consider the Scripture references separately, and then draw out some conclusions at the end. First, then, and we're not going to cover this whole paragraph tonight, just so you know. 
This is all we're going to cover. Prayer with thanksgiving being one part of natural worship is by God required of all men. That's as far as we'll go. So first, prayer with thanksgiving. There are two subjects mentioned here. There's prayer, and then with prayer is thanksgiving. Now, we could take this phrase two different ways, and if I were to be honest, probably the most difficult part in preparing this lecture was to figure out how I wanted to read the phrase, prayer, with thanksgiving. In my mind, I was just trying to figure out what was being said here. So we could take it a couple different ways. First, that there's prayer in general, and then thanksgiving in particular, which would be two uh, different and yet related subjects, prayer, with, along with thanksgiving, or... We might read this prayer that is thanksgiving, as if we're dealing with one particular kind of prayer. Now, the the point that's being made here, dealing with natural worship, or is dealing with natural worship, and so the statement could be saying that the most basic kind of prayer, in a natural sense, is thanksgiving, or that all prayer, and especially thanksgiving in prayer, is Natural. Either way we take that phrase, it's clear from the confession and from Scripture that there are various kinds of prayer and that thanksgiving is one of those kinds. We could, we could have the main heading prayer and then beneath that various kinds, like I said, adoration, thanksgiving, confession, supplication, intercession, etc. You can go down through the list of the various kinds of prayer. Here we're talking specifically about prayer and then thanksgiving as one of those kinds. Prayer, in general, as some have said, is most simply talking to God. I would like to clarify a little further than that, simply talking to God. Because prayer isn't merely talking to God, as if it could be said one prays when he addresses God in the exact same manner that he might address a stranger on the street or even somebody he knows on the street. Well, I talk to that person, I talk to God. Well, there's, there's a difference. Prayer is going to God as God, as He is. Prayer assumes the distinction between the Creator and the creature. And so in that sense, prayer can and ought to be offered to God by all men because He is the Creator of all men and all men are His creatures. Now that, again, that doesn't mean that all prayers are accepted by God or acceptable to God but they still ought to be offered, just in light of that creator-creature relationship. And so in that light, the most basic tenet of prayer would be thanksgiving. Because every creature owes all that it has to the Creator. Prayer is not merely talking to God. It's speaking to God as a creature would speak to its Creator. Matthew Henry says that prayer is lifting up the soul to God and pouring out the heart before Him. John Knox, prayer is an earnest and familiar talking with God. In the Baptist Catechism, Benjamin Keach says the question, what is prayer? Prayer is an offering of our, up of our desires to God for things agreeable to His will in the name of Christ with confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of His mercies. It's clear that these men, and we could go on with definitions, These men did not see prayer as simply talking. We would not lift up our souls to a stranger. That would be idolatry. We we would not normally pour out our hearts even to close acquaintances. That, that, That usually happens in rare occasions. 
While we might confess our sins one to another, we don't thank men for their mercies towards our sins. That's how we talk to God. Prayer is going to God and speaking to God from the heart about those things which we are convinced must be brought to God because only God can deal with them in a way that glorifies Himself and answers to our creaturely needs. It's a creature speaking to a Creator. And there's a lot that then is implied and assumed in that speech. But we have simple prayers like Nehemiah 6.9, But now, O God, strengthen my hands. Nehemiah 13.31, Remember me, O my God, for good. Matthew 6.11, Give us this day our daily bread. These are creatures going to their Creator with that distinction clearly fixed in their mind. I'm a creature. I need my hands strengthened. I'm a creature. I need to be remembered by my God. I'm a creature. I need my bread given. Going to the Creator. Thanksgiving is one kind of prayer. The most obvious and natural kind of prayer. Why? Because if we have life, if we have breath, if we have the ability to recognize that we have life and breath, then we are indebted by that fact to our Creator. He's created us. He's provided life. He sustains our beating hearts. He sustains our breathing lungs. He sustains our thinking brains. He provides every necessity. All of our existence, all of our maintenance is attributed to Him and Him alone. And so, we should give thanks to God. We should express our gratitude verbally to Him. We recognize and acknowledge His goodness, and then we go to Him and express to Him that His goodness is pleasing to us, is beneficial to us, that we are grateful that He has done that. That's what it means to give thanks, to express gratitude. And this kind of praying is a part of natural worship. Prayer with thanksgiving being one part of natural worship. That means that it doesn't take any special revelation from God to make it known to us that we ought to give Him thanks. We, we, we could see that clearly from the creator and creature distinction. Remember, we said in the first paragraph, the light of nature shows that there is a God who hath lordship and sovereignty over all, is just, good, and doth good unto all, and is therefore to be feared, loved, praised, called upon, trusted in, and served with all the heart and all the soul, with all the might. God created us with the ability to know Him, and it's reasonable then that we fear Him, love Him, praise Him, call upon Him, trust Him, serve Him. These things are natural. Why? Because God's God. These things are natural from us to Him because we're not God and He is God. We are utterly dependent. We're not self-created. We're not self-existent. We're not self-sustained. We did not begin our lives ourselves. We cannot maintain our lives ourselves. Thanksgiving is natural from us because we're not God. The flip side of that is God is God. And therefore we ought to give Him thanksgiving. He is the great uncaused cause. The self-existent, independent God. He's of Himself, has no need of anything that He's made. He derives nothing from us or from any other creature at all in any sense. Anything that has existence outside of God owes its existence to God. 
And we see that in those definitions of prayer, that this is always assumed. God is the Creator, immortal, invisible. He's God only wise, all-powerful, the just judge, provider of every necessity, both physically and spiritually, the comforter of our souls, the rock of our salvation, the strength and portion of our hearts. The stranger on the street has made no provision for us. So talking to Him is not like talking to God. We don't owe the stranger any words of greeting. And even if we do speak, it's not out of a creaturely duty. I don't owe that to him as a creature, to a fellow creature. It's not an obligation. If a fellow man gives us a gift or something, we might thank that person, we should thank that person, but even in thanking that person, we recognize that person couldn't have given me that gift apart from the provision of God. Because they too are creatures. His ability to give a gift or do a service for us is traceable back to God. But it's not so with God Himself. We're not tracing anything that He gives back behind Him. It comes from Him. In prayer, we go to God because He is God. We go to God because of who He is and who we are. And so in that sense, prayer with thanksgiving is a part of natural worship. And this type of prayer is required by God of all men. Why? Because He is God and they are men. Now, the fact that salvation has been given to us in Christ, this salvation which is all of God, all of Christ, all of grace, what that does is is add another layer on top of our obligation to render thanksgiving to God. But the fact that another man doesn't have that, doesn't have that salvation that is free and undeserved, an indescribable kindness from God, since God is not obligated to give them, that doesn't mean that they are now no longer liable to render Him thanks. They still ought to render Him thanks for what He has given. We have another obligation of thanksgiving for our salvation, but all men are required to give thanks to God. Even a lost man should thank God for what he has. To offer thanks to God is not only the Christian thing to do, it's the creature thing to do. A lot of people are looked at and considered as Christians because they'll offer thanks to God. Well, I just thank the good Lord for what He's done for me. Thanking God doesn't make somebody a Christian any more than breathing makes them a Christian. That makes them a human being. They're obligated to do that. And if anything, what that does, if they're not a believer, is increases their condemnation because they are willing to give a, a hat tip to God, but they're not willing to humble themselves before His holiness and seek the salvation that He's offered in Christ. It's to acknowledge God and render thanks to Him for His good gifts, but then reject the greatest gift, which is Himself. Thanking God doesn't make you a Christian. It makes you a creature. And all men ought to thank God. All men should offer prayers of thanksgiving to God because of who He is and because of who they are. Those are the words of the confession. Now let's look at the Scriptures. Let's turn first to Psalm 95. Psalm 95. O come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Let us make a joyful noise to Him with songs of praise. For the Lord is a great God and a great King above all gods. 
In His hand are the depths of the earth, the heights of the mountains are His also. The sea is His, for He made it, and His hands formed the dry land. O come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God, and we are the people of His pasture and the sheep of His hand. Now this is a call to worship. It is an invitation to sing to God in a corporate setting. And notice the invitation, come into His presence. Let us come into His presence. That's the language that we talked about last week, the idea of drawing near to God. How can we draw near to a God who is omnipresent? We do this when our hearts and minds are fixed upon who He is. And the truth of His Word as self-revelation fills in the blanks in our thinking of who He is. So it is as if we are standing in His presence knowing what He has revealed of Himself. We, we come into His presence with fixedness of thought, is Matthew Henry's phrase. Close application of mind on God Himself. Not, not first about our petitions and our requests. God. Now we'll come back to that idea later on in the paragraph when it talks about we have to pray with uh, understanding, humility, fervency, faith, love, etc. But we fix our minds upon God. We come into His presence. We draw near. And it says, let us come into His presence with thanksgiving. Now if we could think of entering God's presence like entering into a room, like you came into this room, the picture that's set forth here is that as we cross the threshold into the room of God's presence, we already have thanksgiving on our lips. So that as we come in, we enter, the entering is coupled with thanksgiving. Which means that that thanksgiving, that gratitude was prepared beforehand. That gratitude in our hearts was already stirring beforehand which means that we had already recognized God's goodness that had already been a meditation of our hearts so that as we enter in to His presence, we immediately spew forth thanksgiving. It just erupts from us as we fix our minds on who He is and the truth of His Word fills our, the blanks of our minds with who this God is. That issues forth in thanksgiving. Now, there are different kinds of prayer, again, and different occasions of prayer. My encouragement would be, in your normal, routine, day-to-day times of private prayer, that you attempt to follow this invitation. Enter His presence with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for who He is. Thanksgiving for what He's provided. Thanksgiving for anything and everything that can come to your mind. Just, Just thank Him. Now again, there are other times of prayer. There there are times when you you erupt into prayer, fall down into prayer, whatever it might be, and and what has led to that is not necessarily thanksgiving, but but a crying out to God for some particular thing. In which case, you may not first begin with, thank you for this, and thank you for this, and thank you for this. It might just be, oh God, help such and such. Draw near to so and so. But again, in your normal routines... I think this falls into the A in the ACTS, adoration. Thanking God for who He is, what He's provided, what He's done. This helps turn up the soil of the heart and the mind with very basic and yet very true thoughts of God Himself. You begin to realize everything that I have, I've got from Him. He gave it to me. Of all these people, of all creation, He has provided these things to me. Now it is true that if God gave you nothing, He would still be God. 
But we don't live in that universe. That's not an option. We've already bypassed that. He has given, and so we render thanks. Psalm 50, verse 23, The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. Now, how is that? Because we're rendering to God the acknowledgement that He deserves rather than taking that acknowledgement for ourselves. Now, you might say, well, I would never take the glory that God deserves for myself. Every time you fail to offer thanksgiving to God, you are at least acting as if that glory belongs to you. Thanksgiving is how you vocalize, not my glory, yours. It glorifies Him. In Psalm 95, we see why the worshipers are invited to praise and thank God. Verse 3, for, here's why, the Lord is a great God. Here's why we come to worship, to praise, to thank God. Here's why the psalmist could barely get into his presence without bursting forth with thanksgiving. The greatness of God. The Lord is a great God. He's a great God. There is none greater, none better. There's no other option besides this God. No better provider, no better governor than our God. He's a great king above all gods. There's no better protector than God. Nobody exercises oversight so precisely as God does. Nobody exercises oversight with such personal concern and individual love and care for us as our king does, our God He's the creator and owner of all creation. In His hands are the depths of the earth. The heights of the mountains are His. The sea is His. His hands form the dry land. In addition to that, let us kneel before the Lord, our Maker. He made all of those things and He also made us. He made the dirt. He made the mountains. He made the sea. He made the dry land. And He made us. And He is our God. He has entered into covenant with us to be our very own personal everlasting God. And who are we? We're the people of His pasture, the sheep of His hand, utterly dependent. We are all need, we are all concern, we, are, we have no sufficiency. And yet, He willingly, lovingly, from eternity and unto eternity, has consigned Himself over to us to be our shepherd and watchman, our feeder and leader, our master and guide. So give Him thanks. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. Enter His courts with praise. He's addressed in Psalm 65 as, O you who hear prayer. It is His nature as God to hear prayer. It's who He is. You cannot have this God without having a prayer-hearing God. Which would imply that you cannot be the sheep of the pasture of this God and be a non-praying sheep. They don't go together. It's contrary to nature. He's a prayer-hearing God and His people are then a prayer-giving people. If there is no prayer, it's because you have no God. Even even people who worship false gods offer prayers. It doesn't go together to say, well, this is my God, and yet not pray, any more than it would be for God to say, well, I'll be your God, but I'm not going to listen to your prayers. 
Psalm 69, verse 30, I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify Him with thanksgiving. To magnify is to promote, to, to grow, to make Him big. It magnifies God in our own hearts, in the unseen realm of the heavens, and in the world when we pray with thanksgiving. If you want to come into this assembly and magnify God in the midst of this assembly, then offer up thanksgiving. It magnifies Him. And we know anywhere that God is honored and magnified, there He will be. That's where He wants to be. He loves to be honored. He loves to be promoted. He will be sanctified and glorified by those who worship Him. And those who do so can depend upon it. He'll be there. Where His name is glorified, where He's magnified, He will draw near and be with those people. To praise God with thanksgiving is to, as it were, open up the heavens and invite God down. It's almost like you're pulling God down because He longs to be where He is thanked, glorified, magnified, and honored. The flip side of that is anywhere where God's glory is stolen, His name is reduced, His honor given to another, He will not be there. He will not be among those people. He's not going to endure that. We praise Him. We thanks, give thanks to Him. Psalm 100 we sang, Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into His presence with singing. Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter His gates with thanksgiving and His courts with praise. Give thanks to Him. Bless His name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and His faithfulness to all generations. So then, let's summarize what we learn from the confession and these scriptures. We put it together. In light of who God is and who we are, we should pray. We should pray. Failure to pray is to deny either who we are or who God is. When you fail to pray, and especially when you fail to offer thanksgiving to God, you ungod God. You make Him as if He were no God when you do not pray to Him. You make Him as if He were no God at all. So then by way of application, three points. Number one, pray. Pray. We could all say, I wish my prayer life was better. As a matter of fact, some of us have been saying that for years or even decades. And that's our way of saying, I don't pray much and I'm not willing to put into, in, but any effort into changing that. Well, you know, I, could, you know I, I wish my prayer life was better. There's only so many times you can say that before people just stop believing it. We all understand. We all agree. We all wish our prayer life was better. Okay, what are we going to do? What are we going to do about it? We have to pray. We have to pray. It's natural to pray. Number two, pray with thanksgiving. It's unnatural not to pray, and it's contrary to nature to fail to pray with thanksgiving. Now you might say, well, I just don't know how to grow in my prayer life. Again, I would suggest start with thanksgiving. Start there. You start listing all the things God's given to you. 
You'll be writing, the people will be reading, you know, biographies of you. He would pray, lay on the floor and pray for seven hours a day. What were you doing? I was just thanking God for all the stuff He gave me. You'll learn to pray. Begin with thanksgiving. Begin with heartfelt gratitude for God, to God, for everything under the sun and above the sun that you can name. Don't start with asking. Don't start with petitions. Don't start with intercessions. Just thank God for what He's done. Enter His courts with thanksgiving. As Christ taught, start with hallowing the name of God as our transcendent Father and thanking Him for being such a good Father. Pray. Pray with thanksgiving. And then thirdly, from all of this put together, let's acknowledge the process of growth. Let's just be be honest about the process of growth. Let's be gracious with one another. Let's be patient with one another and with ourselves. Now I fear that the reason our corporate prayer times are basically the same rotation of the same three or four men every week is because the rest of the men are either nervous about public prayer or you don't know how to pray. Now I'm going to hope that it's the former. You're nervous about public prayer. Very often we're nervous. And I understand it. Because we hear other people pray who sound like seasoned veterans and we think, I can't pray like that. There's no point in trying. Just a personal testimony. Most of you who have been anywhere with me to any corporate prayer meeting besides here will can testify to this. Unless somebody calls my name to pray or says we're going to go around in a circle and I'm in that circle and we're all going to pray, I don't pray. Why is that? Again, w- whether it's pride, whatever it might be, a self-consciousness, I do not enjoy to hear myself praying. And I think I don't need to hear myself praying. I want to hear others pray. I want to hear the voices of other men pray. As a matter of fact, even when I'm alone by myself and there's no one around but me, I don't like to pray out loud because I do not enjoy hearing myself pray. That's how self-conscious I am about my praying. You say, well, you pray publicly every week in here. Why do I do that? Because Paul said... I desire that in every place the men should pray. If I'm a part of the men, it's a duty. And I believe that Paul gave that because he knew that it was an edification to the others when the men pray. So when we come into the assembly and it's time for the men to pray, let me speak on behalf of the congregation to say, Men, I want to hear you pray. I need to hear you pray. I don't need to hear myself pray. I don't like to hear myself pray. I want to hear you pray. You say, well, I can't pray very good. I didn't ask if you could pray good. I said, I'd like to hear you pray. Prayer is a deadly, serious matter. And we must strive for utmost reverence. At the same time, remember that we are coming before the throne of grace, before our Heavenly Father who gave His Son for us. He's our Father. He's our Father. When our young children begin to speak, 
We know the time is going to come for correction and for training, but you all know those first little whimpers and cries when they begin to to sort of develop their voice. And you begin to think that's what they're going to sound like when they start talking. They're they're not forming words yet, but you're you're hearing what their voice is going to be like, and it thrills you. It's exciting. It's delightful to hear them begin to attempt to speak. It makes us happy. How much more our Heavenly Father... He wants to hear our prayers. We have to be willing to offer infant prayers. You don't know how encouraging it might be for somebody else to hear you pray. Husbands, do your wives hear you pray? Wives, do your husbands hear you pray? Parents, Do your children hear you pray? There's nothing more natural than prayer for a believer. And we need to make sure as a congregation, a church, as families, we need to make sure that we are not confusing one another. We're not confusing our children. We're not confusing outsiders by leading them to believe that prayer, and especially corporate prayer and public prayer, is relegated to a select few extra spiritual people. That's not Protestantism. That's not what we believe. We believe Christians pray. And it's not about well how good or how bad. We, we're, we're all learning. I hear some prayers and I, I, sometimes I do wish they'd stop. Not in this place, but others. There are prayers that I, I want to stop and very often they are my own. But in the assembly, we have been given instructions and commandments on how to conduct worship. It's a duty, an obligation, a, a, a prize and a treasure, a thing that edifies the assembly when we pray. So pray. Pray with thanksgiving. And we need to acknowledge or be honest with the process of growth. We're all learning. So let's pray.